Welcome. Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here. Today we are going to be kicking off a new sermon series, a brand new sermon series. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I just thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. We recognize your holiness. We recognize your power, your justice, your wisdom. Lord, you are an amazing, infinite God. I just Think of the song we just sang, Lord, it says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I pray, God, that I would be willing to give you my soul, my life, my all. I pray each one of us here, we would take a moment, compose our hearts before you, and we would give you our soul, our lives, and our all. In Jesus' name, amen. So our new sermon series that we're starting this week is called Go, Joining Jesus and Making Disciples. Often, if you think of the concept of, of discipleship, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a churchy word, right? So we want to take some time um, this summer, we want to unpack this concept a little bit. We're going to be talking everything from um, our identity as uh, Christ's followers to the things that we, that we are called to do in His name and what that, that implications that has for us as a church, as a culture of who we are and how we will follow and how we obey Jesus Christ. Um, discipleship is more than just about packing our heads with knowledge. It's about a heart change. It's a heart change. It's a heart change that produces an attitude change in us towards the Lord. It's a heart change that produces acts of obedience, which come from devotion and love and settledness in Him. But there's also some practical aspects to discipleship as well. There's, a, there's equipping, there's skills that we need to learn. There's a calling that we need to respond to. In a few minutes, Burke Wilson is going to join us, and he is going to share with us. He's going to kick off um, our series here this week. Burke Wilson, well, Burke, why don't you join, us, join me up here? Burke is a pastor of our sister church in Raleigh, Grace in Raleigh, and uh, he's been here before a couple months ago, yep, so welcome. Yep. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, hey. Burke, I'm looking forward, really looking forward to uh, hearing about mm -hmm. um, what you've been up to here the last couple of months and hearing your exhortation to us. So, welcome. All right. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you. It is great being here. Yeah, I, as Dave mentioned, um, Barbara and I uh, just got back from Link. It's our region's leadership development. I, I know Dave Warsaw was there for the last week. And um, just a very intentional time of what is it to be a disciple and make disciples who make disciples. And with that intentionality of what happened over the last month, I mean, some amazing things happened. You know, we approached a lot of people and over 1,019 a, a, a people allowed us to actually pray for them right there on the spot. You know, not only that, 730 actually heard clear testimonies of how God brought us out of darkness into his light. And, and of, of that, we were able to see 669 people actually hear a gospel presentation and given the opportunity to respond. And as we went out there, we also found about 42 Christians who said, yeah, I want to know what it is to be a disciple, make disciple. And they were willing to be trained on some of the things we had been learning. And they continue to be trained. And then we saw the Lord bring 24 people, 25, out of darkness into light to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. In a month's time. You know, we, we saw Acts 2.47, a reality of saying you know, that uh, we... we we saw the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved. And, and so, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, give the Lord a hand. You know, again, we count numbers. Uh, we, we count people because people count. 
And, and, but we also, also remember that we want to rejoice that our name's written in the book of life. We don't rejoice in our results, but we rejoice that God would allow us to see some neat things happen. And that's just amazing. And, and, so, and also we saw four people actually get baptized real quickly after professing Christ. Just like in the book of Acts. You know, they didn't, you know, I mean, it was just so neat to see. And, and it was hard to leave, but it's good to be here. I love being here. I love being able to visit my son and daughter-in-law, James and Allison, even though James left this weekend. We'll talk to him about that later. You know, no, he had a great time with our other son. We, Barbara and I, you know, we have six sons. And, you know, we're early in our marriage, she wanted two children. I wanted four. We didn't know how to compromise for about 15 years. And so we got six instead of just two or four. Uh, you know, but we're a holy mess. You know, she's holy, I'm a mess. Uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, it, it really is good to see what God's doing. I also love to be up here because we get to see um, three of our great-grandchildren. Oh, not great-grandchildren. They are great. They're grandchildren that are great. You know, but we are praying that one day we'll see all of our great-grandchildren. And so um, we want to see that happen. But uh, it's amazing times what we live in. And, and the... You know, it, it's, it, it's something, and I want to talk about just what do we understand about loving God? You know, when, when you love someone and, and you know the, some, the one that you love has a desire, you will go after that, right? I mean, I, I remember, you know, our, our Suburban, our 1999 Suburban, you know, it was kind of getting old, still running good, had over 330,000 miles. But Barbara expressed to me, you know, I would like a Highlander. And I didn't rush out and buy the first Highlander I could find. You know, I mean, I started using my discretionary time, and I started kind of going after her. And I said, okay, you know, what's, what's a good Highlander? I knew she liked the color blue, and I wanted to find the right price, I, you know, a good used, you know, vehicle. And I, I, I even cut into not just my discretionary time. Sometimes, you know how it is, you start looking on the Internet for cars, and then right in the middle of work, something pops up. And so I started even kind of getting distracted because that was her desire. And I love Barbara. And we finally found a Highlander that, you know, just fits us. But the point I'm making is when you and I love someone and we know that that someone has a desire, we will go after it. And in all of our loves, our love for our, our spouses, our parents, our children, grandchildren, the, the thing about it is we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And of all the wants that we are to pursue, we're to understand that he wants something. He wants something. He desires something. And there's an overarching desire that, you know, there, there's some desires he has, like in Psalm 51, it talks about how he desires truth in our innermost being. He also, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he desires us to give thanks in everything, not for everything, but in everything. We also, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we find out he, de he desires that, you know, we abstain from sexual immorality. We, we know those things, but we also understand there is a big want, and we understand this big want, this big will of God, then it, it, it just makes life simpler because a lot of decisions are already made for us when we embrace that want. I, I, I was in graduate school. And how many of y'all have asked the question in your mind, what is God's will for my life? Anybody? All right. You know, sure be should, sometimes there should be every hand going up, I think. But praise God. You know, but, but then we, we asked that question. I was in graduate school and I ran into an old friend. And my, this old friend, you know, he, was, uh, he had a, a friend with him. He was a stranger to me. And I remember um, Dick was asking me questions. He said, Burke, what, what's God doing with you? And I made the statement, I said, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. 
Sounds like a good question. But this stranger that I didn't know said, well, that's the wrong question. And I, kinda, I did think, who is this joker? I don't even know him, and he's interrupting our conversation. But he said, the question I ask is, what is God's will? What is it God wants? You're so self-centered. This is a stranger talking to me. He says, you dropped the last three. It's not what is God's will for your life. It's what is God's will. And then how will you pursue it? And with whom will you pursue it with? Or Did I say that right? English? I don't think I did. You know, but the, so how are we will pursue it? And who will we pursue it with? Think about that. God has a will. And that's the question we ask as followers, as lovers of Jesus. What is it God wants? And, and, and I started thinking about that. And, and even after my initial ruffling of the feathers of this stranger, actually, he and I became good friends after that because I started thinking, man, he, this is right. But this overarching desire and accomplishing his will and accomplishing his, his desire, his mission is to be our mission. And if we have any other mission, it's the wrong mission. As, as, as we've surrendered to Jesus to, and we're loving him, we're learning to love him. That, and so I'm going to kind of walk you through my journey about understanding more about what is it God wants and how you know, we can step into it. And, and to realize that, yeah, this is what God wants. And, and that's my mission. That's our purpose. And any other purpose we say we claim is the wrong purpose if we have the spirit of Christ in us. Let, let me pray for us as we get going here. Heavenly Father, Lord, this, this is so profound and so clear from Genesis to Revelation, and yet we miss it so often. And I do confess too many times I have made it about me, and we've made it about us. And yes, you do care about a lot of the things that are going on in our life. And yet, Lord, right now you care about us being in harmony with your will, your purpose, your desire, your mission. So Lord, would you open up our hearts to understand and embrace this? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Again, when you and I have a mission, when we have a purpose, there is an end game. There is an end vision. We know what it looks like when this is finished. And so do we realize that when God says he's expressing his desire, what does he want? What does the end game look like? And as a network of churches, you know, we used to sing, and I, how many of y'all know the song Acts 1-8? Maybe I should say, who doesn't know it? Um, all right, if you don't know it, but, but actually that song is, it has three verses, Acts 1-8, Habakkuk 2-14, and also Matthew 4-19. And, and, and I want you to write down Habakkuk 2-14. Because it describes the end vision. It describes what it will look like when God you know, has finished his desire, his will. It says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is going to happen. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you separate the waters from the sea? No, you can't do that. And there's, a, there's coming a time in which the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters of the sea that won't be separated. Right now, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. You know, I mean, because again, can you say that every corner of the earth displays the knowledge of God's glory? No, it does not. There are aspects of, of the glory, even the cicadas. You know, they're, they're singing about the glory of the Lord. We may not be able to understand it. I, you know, I woke up this morning and I went outside and I heard that sound. And, you know, I, I was a big sci-fi 
fan. And I, what I heard was, man, that's the aliens shooting ray guns at me. That's the sound. I, you know, that's all I thought about. But then I said, no, that's the sound of God's glory. Forget my past. You know, I, I need to remember this. But again, just the thing, that is the end game. When every corner of the earth display the knowledge of God's glory. We're not there yet. But the question to address is as we grow in the Lord's love, how are we going to pursue that? And who will we accomplish it with? Now, and when will you get there? When will you know you're there? You know, we, we have little aspects of that, but I, I want us to think about this. When we get to the end, Matthew, write this verse down, Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus is talking about the end times. And this, you know, this, he's saying that the, this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now think about that. Some of us think about, oh gosh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be hit by an asteroid, or we're going to have a nuclear holocaust, or we're going to have, you know, an economy crash, and uh, the pandemic is going to kill everyone. And, you know, no, Jesus says that that's not how the end comes. How does Jesus say the end will come? When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And that word nations is ethnic. That word nation means people group. All the people groups in the world. That's when the end will come. And you and I get a part to be a part of that. To be a part of bringing the end. The end of sin. The end of you know, domestic violence. The end of racism. The end of sexism. You know, the, the end of, of just the... the, the greed that we see but we get to see that when we understand that's what it will look like when the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations god's will and our purpose is to get the gospel of jesus christ to all people in their this generation that is god's desire and that is to be our desire and so that there's no place left that hasn't heard about jesus christ have you accepted that as God's will? And have you embraced that as yours? Or is it just nice to know about, but you're still going to kind of be worried about these other things? Don't you see, once you and I really say, his will is my will, that is my purpose, that is why I've been left on earth, it changes everything. It's a game changer. It changes why you read the Bible. If you and I really say, you know, if, if we're having a struggle reading the Bible, we won't. Once we understand we're a part of seeing the world reach for Jesus Christ, this book will not be just a book on a shelf. It will be our manual. It will be our lifeline. It will determine about our prayer, not just how frequently we pray, how fervently we pray, what we even pray about. It will determine what, who our best friends are, and therefore it will determine who we marry. It will even determine why you change diapers and why you train your children. Because you don't see yourself as just a cog in a wheel. You see yourself, now I'm part of God's vision. I'm part of His purpose. And therefore, this is what we're about. And we're about making disciples. Because again, to see the gospel go to all the world, to all the people groups, how do you do that? That's where Matthew 28 comes in. Matthew 28 was not just, you know, a surprise. We're going to go, over, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to see that this has been God's desire from the get-go. But we understand more about how it's to be done. And when you look at it and you say, when Jesus came up and he, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to 
learn lessons? No, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So when you and I really embrace God's will, when you and I really embrace what it means to abide in Him and to walk in His Spirit, walk in His ways, then this pays, we pay attention to this. There's one command, and it's not to go. Sometimes we think, oh, that's the command, I just got to go. No, the, really, the way it should be reading is, you know, as we're going, as we're going to the gym, as we're going to the grocery store, as we're going to the park, as we're going to class, as we're going to work, the one command, the one command in this passage is to make disciples of all nations. That's the prime objective if we're abiding in Christ, when we're abiding in Christ. We glorify God by abiding in Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. And as we're going, we are making disciples. So again, so one command, there are two assurances. All authority is His. He's the only one we're really trying to please. Yes, the boss is important, the parents are important, you know, other people are important, but the one authority that we will answer to is Him. That's an assurance. Now the other assurance is, lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. And then there are three tasks. There are three tasks. We're to proclaim the gospel as we're going, not just set times. Now, you have set times in order to get sharper, but we are to proclaim the gospel. We are to baptize those who respond. Think about that. Have you baptized anybody lately? Man, you see someone pass from death to life, you have the authority from Jesus Christ to baptize them. And then you're to teach them to obey all. If we're teaching them to obey all, what are we to teach them to do? Embrace God's will, walk in His Spirit, and fulfill the Great Commission. Go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and make disciples until there's no place left that hadn't heard of Jesus. So we're given the how. We know what the end game is. We know when it'll happen when this gospel gets to all the nations. And we know how to do it. You know, we're told really simply how to do it. And again, th this isn't something that Jesus kind of came up with in the middle of the Bible. This isn't, no, no, we're going to, with the remaining time, I want us to go because I want you to get to a point, if anyone ever asks you, well, what is God's will for my life? You can do the same thing Rogers did with me. Drop the last two words. Let's look at what God's will is and will you embrace it because not everyone embraced it. But we're going to look at this and we're going to look from creation, from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to see that God has always had this desire. And every time that he invited people to join him, he enveloped them. He invited them not only to be saved from sin, but to be embracing his vision. But like I said, not everybody embraced it. I, you know, I, this isn't in your notes, but you might want to write this down. In Luke chapter 7, verse 30, the, the religious leaders and the educated people, it says they rejected the purpose of God. So you and I can have the purpose of God right before our eyes. We can see it plainly, and maybe we're too educated, or we're just so wrapped up in religion, that, or some of the people you're interacting with, they might miss it, but we still need to be able to communicate it. Again, I want you to understand what God's will is so you can, with confidence and with clarity, communicate it, and even remind your, your family why you're still left on this earth as a follower of Jesus. So let's go. All right, I, as, as we look over these verses, I want us to understand when you, when you look at these verses, what is the extent of God's desire? What is his expressed big desire? And, and look at who he invites to be a part of this. I write down Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Again, I'm thinking cicadas, you know, sorry. Um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you what was the extent from the very beginning of what God wanted? Did you see it? Who saw it? All right. Julian, what was it? Everything. You know, fill the earth. Not just fill fill this little garden, fill the earth and over everything. And he's inviting Adam and Eve to be a part of this. But th- think about this. At this point. They were full expressions of God's image, right? So God was saying, I want you to multiply image bearers of myself throughout the whole earth. That was the original intent. That was God's will, right? But what happened? You and I know what happened. Genesis 3, sin came. And sin began to contaminate the multiplication process. So much so, you get into Genesis 6. And this is, I can't imagine what this is like. Genesis 6, verse 5 says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. I can't imagine being in that time period. Can you? God had a desire. Sin contaminated the process. And now instead of multiplying image bearers, we are multiplying sin bearers. So evil multiplied. So God hit the reset button, right? With the flood. And then look at Genesis 9, 1. He brings up, he, he, you know, look at this. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, what was the intent of God's desire in inviting Noah to join him? The earth. Fill the earth. Same intent. This is not new. And yet, you know, the, the two things here. He, he has this intent And when he calls someone, he just doesn't call them out of their sinfulness. He calls them into his purpose. Keep that in mind. And then Genesis 11 hits. In verse 4, I'll just skip down to verse 4 for the sake of time. This is what the people are doing now. Even though God wanted them to fill the earth, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Think about this. This who, Who did they want to exalt? Themselves. And they even were actually... Fighting against God's desire for them to be scattered. They came up with all kinds of reasons that we're going to build for ourselves a city. And yeah, it's going to go to heaven, so we'll still kind of glorify God. But it's all about them. And they're restricting themselves, not really embracing God's purpose. But God still wants his glory to go through the corners of the earth. And that's where Genesis 12 comes in. Again, look at God's intent and look at who he uses. And he invites, you know, Abram, what do you know about Abram? We don't know a lot about Abram. We know he lived during a time where he was very involved with idol worship. So he was probably an idol worshiper. But God, again, he calls him. And look at, the, look at this. He says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. It goes on and says, you know, basically, you go, you know, the, let's go ahead and skip to the third verse. Because he says this. He says, basically, I will bless you and through you 
all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what's the intent of God's desire when he calls Abram? All the earth. I want to bless all the earth. I want to bless all the families of the earth. Again, God's always thinking big picture. And he, he is inviting Abram, again, not just out of his idolatry, but into his invitation. And this keeps going. God continues to bless for his purpose. Look at Psalm 67. Why do you want, before we look at it, why do you want God to bless you? Why do you want God to be gracious to you? Listen, listen to this. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. See, that, that God, again, is inviting us not just to turn away from sin, but to be involved in his you know, desire to see and his will to see all the nations know about his salvation. Again, why do we want God to bless us and to shine his face on us? So that his way will be known on the earth. God's desire, all earth, all the nations are invited. Isaiah 49, write this, Isaiah 49, 5 and 6. And again, as, you, as we read this, I want to think about if God were to use Oak Ridge to really impact all of Montgomery and Carroll County, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Or even to say, we, you know, God would use Oak Ridge to, to, to really bring the knowledge of Christ to the whole southeast. That would be pretty impressive. But as you read this verse and, and these verses, you realize that is too small of a thing. Verse, verse 6, it says, it's, it's too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones uh, you know, in, in Israel. I will make you a light to the nations so that salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And you might say, well, Bert, that was talking about the Messiah. That's a mess messianic passage. But do you realize Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, they used this verse as their commissioning verse, as their purpose verse. It is too small a thing in light of who God is. That's not, and God would love to see Montgomery and Carol and Prince George and, and, and uh, you know, they, they, the counties here to really know about Jesus. But that's too small a thing. Because God's intent is that we would be a light to the nations. That's his intent. Again, God's desires for all the nations to know him. That is not new. This wasn't something that Jesus kind of popped in on, on in Matthew 28. This, this is this all throughout. And you can keep going. You can look at Matthew 28 and you realize that this command to go and make disciples, you can look at verse 17. He was giving this command to be a part. Really, it was an invitation to be a part of him was given to worshipers and doubters. So there's some of us in this room. We, we're on that spectrum. We're in between. But that doesn't mean he only gave the command to those who were full-fledged, devoted worshipers. He gave back then, he gave the command and the commission to worshipers and doubters. And, and then in Acts 1.8, you know, he's saying, look, the reason the Holy Spirit is now indwelling in you, that, that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Again, some of this, we know this, and yet sometimes we haven't embraced it, that his mission will be my mission. And that will decide a lot of things. Even in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when, you know, if we're in Christ, we are new creatures. 
And because we're new creatures, we have a new calling. Because God is reconciling the world. And we're ambassadors to the world. Now, we've got to have a starting point, but we've got to remember that the, the end game is the nations. It's kind of like if you played football. I, mean, I know right now there, there's, in college football, there's heavy recruiting going on. And, and you know, if, if you're recruited as a defensive end, but you intercept the ball, you're not going to just say, okay, I intercept the ball, I, I did, I'm down. No, you, you know the end game. You're running to the end zone. Everybody knows the end game is to make sure that football goes across the line more than the other team. And so to understand as new creatures, as ambassadors, that's who we are. Write down Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 and 10. This is happening in heaven. This is the end game. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You're going to have in heaven one day, there are going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group that will be praising God. That's what will happen. And we get to be a part of that. But will we embrace that? Because not all do. Write down these verses and we can look at them in, in Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. God invited people to be his priest. Again, he called them out of Egypt and he said, I want to let you know you're my priest. You're going to be my priest. And of all the people of the earth, says you're my priest. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's an amazing honor, isn't it? To be called to represent him to the nations. And yet look at Exodus 20, 18 through 21. As you look at that, God is showing up. And all the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. I, I can't imagine how God must have felt that he's inviting them to be a part of him and in part of the invitation to be priests to represent him to the nations. And the people shrunk back. Only Moses stepped forward. So how does that relate to us? 1 Peter 2, 9. Look at that. Write that verse down. It says that you and I, if we're in Christ, we too are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. That is who we are. And we're going to y'all going to be talking about that more next week. But understand this, salvation, please, is not just us being saved from sin and eternal death. Salvation is being saved from sin and being invited into God's plan to see the world, all the nations. And we get to be a part of that. And if you're still kind of, you know, wrestling with that, remember 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the first part, that the eyes of the Lord are roaming 
throughout the whole earth to strongly support the one whose heart is completely his. When you and I say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but God himself is inviting me, I will not only accept that I'm forgiven of sin, I'll accept his invitation to be a part of his purpose. His will, my will. There's a will, I want to be in it. His will, my will. And now I'll explain that and I'll begin to understand my purpose. Because when you and I begin to understand our purpose and our calling and our identity, a lot of things we struggle with will just slough off. They really will. A lot of other decisions are already made for us once we say, his will, my will. Will you make that decision today? And when you go and say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I want to be a part of seeing every tongue every tribe, every nation, every people group. Worship him. I want to be the generation that brings the end because I want to be a part of the generation that brings the gospel to every nation, this generation. Think about what, what's going to change in your life? What attitude? Have you embraced it? Will you go ahead and say, say, yeah, your will is my will. And then just say, God, I don't know what's next, but I'm willing to talk with some few people and say, what's next? And next week will help explain that even more. I'm going to give you about 15, 20 seconds to kind of reflect on what you heard. What are you going to do because of what you just heard? What will you accept? What will you talk to God about? If you're not a Christian, very simply, you just say, I admit my sin's bigger than me. I do believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sin and rose. So come into my life and change me. ABCs. Admit sin, believe Jesus rose from the dead, and come into your life. And then not only will he forgive you, but he'll invite you, no matter what your background, be a part of my plan. Amen?